0: A new origin story, big crowds, a busy schedule during the Great War, and a return to the Howard Theater. It's the story of Cora Livingston, part nine. Crazy territory stories, double crosses and swerves, pro wrestling history nerds. You press the button! Theoretically. The theoretic you? Are you theoretical? Is this show theoretical? What is the theory behind all of this? I hoped I pressed the button, otherwise I'm just talking weird for no real reason. What am I talking about? Theoretically. Who am I? What's even happening? My name is Nick Gossert. I am a pro wrestling Booker, I am a pro-wrestling promoter, occasionally a ring announcer, but more importantly for the moment, I am a pro-wrestling historian, and I am joined by my co-host, her head is now part of the logo after her many complaints, it's Heidi Howitzer, how the heck are you?
1: Well, I am theoretically part of this podcast now, the theoretical podcast, and I am theoretically here in theory, I hate you, but welcome to the podcast.
0: Maybe this whole thing is AI and nobody's doing anything but a robot while well, we're at work.
1: Oh, if this was a simulation, I would not have this many neuroses.
0: Possibly. The, yeah, I, I like that's the, the true test of whether something is human or robot is how much anxiety existence gives the subject. <laughs> what
1: is the the mental illness ratio here?
0: Exactly. 100% across the board. That's how you know we're not robots unless we're robots faking mental illness. This has gotten off on a strange foot. I'm not complaining. <laughs> I'm not mad about it, but here we are. So, what we're going to be doing today, shocking news if you've been paying attention, is we are continuing the story of Cora Livingston. What part is this, Nick? This is part nine. Oh my
1: God.
0: So it's part 9 of the story of Cora Livingston, that implies there is parts 1 through 8. So if you say, I know all about the wrestling history of the 1920s, I will be fine on my own. Well, come on in, start with part 9, whatever you want to do. But if you're not, you might want to take a step back, start at part 1, find out who Cora is, where she came from, how her career formed and led up to where we are today. And... Another disclaimer, I am doing the best I can with the material I am finding. It is not easy to research a female champion, even if she was the champion, in the 1920s the 1920s i'm primarily going through burlesque and vaudeville theater advertisements she did get good press in the sports pages but there's a lot of information missing because you'll hear a lot of oh and then this match happened and this match happened and then this happened well who won the matches who the heck knows couldn't find any information
1: well and uh as we discussed internally if you will earlier this week Uh, Nick even managed to stumble across a little bit more information than we were expecting about Cora recently. So new pictures,
0: new articles. And to make sure you did hear that right, it's new, N-E-W, not nude, just in case the enunciation (laughs) kind of blew past your ear holes. I don't know what you're doing. Maybe you're someplace noisy while you're listening to this, jogging in a wind tunnel, i don't know your lives i don't know how you live them but yes there is a lot of information missing when you research things like this it is a bit of a dark age because as a historian i will tell you they don't call it the dark ages because Everybody was an idiot and nothing was happening. It's just because most documented information from that era has been lost or destroyed. So it's not that these things weren't happening and there wasn't a lot going on and it wasn't possibly more interesting than you're finding out already. It's just that information cannot be found or doesn't exist. Because when Korra would have matches, a lot of times all they talked about was the mail matches that were on the card at times, or it was at a vaudeville hall and therefore not super important because it was challenge matches. Or heck, sometimes, especially when you get into the late teens, early 20s, World War I was a thing. So sometimes, news-wise, that was a little more important than professional wrestling.
1: Yeah, the simulation took that part a lot more seriously, oddly enough.
0: And before we get into the story, I want to thank Lydia and Mike for your donations. If you ever feel like donating to the show, the it is in the description of the episodes, my Venmo is there. No pressure. I'll keep doing the show no matter what, but a few bucks to buy books or keep the the podcast server going much appreciated. Thank you so much. And sometimes I do wonder, why don't I do a Patreon? Why don't we do like bonus episodes? Why do we have bonus content to subscribers? And then I remember that we can barely get an episode out every two weeks under the best of circumstances. And that's the big why not. So
1: thank you, Lydia. Thank you, Mike. We like you more than all of our other fans who have not yet given us their money
0: this is true if not hurtful (laughs) so we're gonna pick things up in april of 1920 the april 30th 1920 newark leader and that is newark ohio not new jersey with last match of the season in the final wrestling show of the season at the auditorium theater on may 5th it's advertising Joe Stetcher versus Paul Bowser, and Cora Livingston with another match against Grace Brady. Again, the t- constant rematches between Cora and Grace in this era, it was going city to city, town to town, and that was fine because there was no TV or internet. So you could wrestle the same person twice a week in different towns, the same program, often the same matches, non-stop and still draw hot houses because guess what you never saw it you don't even maybe know what these people look like because you don't even see photos in the paper i'm trying to find photos of grace brady no luck so far but even with internet access it becomes mysterious in history so hence you could draw hot dollars back in those days
1: see they were truly living the dream with that aspect i mean you know outside of all the free vaccine fun, uh, you know, disease, etc. cetera, uh, plumbing, modern plumbing, um, but but all that being said, you could draw a hot house while running the exact same matches, insane, and uh, yeah, there wasn't any Twitter to, <laughs> to expose it all.
0: And there is a certain wink to the audience and a wink back to the business that the same match is happening nonstop, coast to coast, because there is an amazing article, I've referenced it before from the Brooklyn Eagle from the eighteen like late eighteen seventies, when Professor Miller and Theobode Bauer were going coast to coast doing the same matches, and the Brooklyn Eagle had to do a big article saying, hey idiots, stop betting on professional wrestling, it's fixed, it's predetermined, it is not something you should gamble on because these two assholes are burning every single city doing the same match every single night. So the outrage of that has subsided and now it's just an accepted part of the sports entertainment angle of professional wrestling. This is the era when they were starting to move away from betting culture thus presenting a realistic match with a predetermined outcome for the sake of ripping off gamblers and more making entertainment for the sake of selling tickets.
1: Which funnily enough, I believe DraftKings has been doing pro wrestling betting here within the last six months or so, if I'm not mistaken.
0: And if so, those are some of the dumbest people alive, and bless their hearts, I wish I could get in on some of that action.
1: <laughs> oh, to make money from morons.
0: From the Greenville, Ohio Daily News-Tribune on May 5th, 1920, Cora will appear that night against Mae Kelly on the undercard of the Joe Stetcher vs. Jack Boyer match. Again, we're starting to see Joe Stetcher, Ed Lewis, Charlie Cutler, that generation of wrestlers, the Goldust Trio era, Jack Pesic. We're seeing these guys popping up more and more because we're starting to see that era, that World War I, post-World War I era of wrestling solidifying. If you listen to our series on the Goldust Trio and wrestling in the 20s, you're going to start seeing where they intersect. If you haven't, by all means, go listen to it. I put a lot of work into that one as well. But it is interesting seeing Cora bridging an era of pro wrestling from that kind of 1910s where it, was, it felt more connected to the 19th century, carny, carnival, circus wrestling type of world. And she stuck around to a point where it started transitioning into almost proto sports entertainment style wrestling. So it's really-
1: well, and I, I was going to, sorry to to interject here. Uh, I'm not really sorry to interject here, but that's one thing I will say about that time is you have to keep in mind everyone was, was starting so relatively young compared to uh, not that we don't have our outliers <laughs> these days that of people that are starting training when they're, they're 14 or starting doing shows when they're 16, 17, uh, but but that was kind of a norm there so even though she had she spanned this this gap and had already been working quite a decent amount of time she still was what under the age of 30. I believe
0: she was probably just just over 30 at this point but because yeah because her birth date does kind of shift around within about a two-year gap but still when you've been wrestling since you're 18 like you've been in the paper since you're 18 and you're wrestling several times a week and you wrestle for more than a decade that That's is wild. It's bonkers. It's bananas. It is. well,
1: c- and it, Yes, it is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Uh, you know, do people still say that? I don't, I don't fucking know. I'm old. Uh, but it, it is absolutely just, just bonkers. When you look at now, it's a very different style of wrestling, but largely in like women's Japanese wrestling, uh, a lot of those women are retiring long before they hit 30 because they start working so young and they're always working banged up.
0: And that's the thing, especially with that Joshi style, is they kick the shit out of each other in many of those organizations. So the amount of bumps and bruises you sometimes see in Joshi matches, especially the Joshi matches of the 70s, 80s, and 90s, just the sheer physicality of those matches are the equivalent of like 20 matches of more contemporary American pro wrestling style wear and tear.
1: Yes, exactly. And and you mentioning that, you know, you got to see it start to morph into sports entertainment is uh, extra interesting when it comes to the case of Cora. And I would say that specifically because when you look at a lot of the, male wrestlers at the time and the names, they were um, very much that technical shooter. Wrestling is a sport, you know, a competition, if you will. Uh, and it's, you know, people are still betting on it, right? It's uh, it's it's still taken uh, very much not as sports entertainment, but Cora, on the other hand, was already doing sports entertainment for most of her career.
0: And that's another reason that the wrestlers of this era were able to stick around as long as they did because they are doing a primarily shoot-style grappling-based wrestling style. So they're not throwing punches. They're not throwing kicks. They're not slamming each other through tables. Nobody's dropping an elbow from the top rope. It is something where it's made to simulate a catch-as-catch-can-legitimate match. So the throws are going to be a little more like a actual amateur style wrestling throw. It's going to be mat based. It's jockeying for position. It looks like if you are a fan of uh, old Japanese combat sports, it's like watching pancrase but without the strikes. So it looks yeah. like a no-gi jiu-jitsu tournament with pins. It's catch as catch can. So it really does have the ability to keep you from getting too injured and having a shortened career unless something terribly goes wrong, which is rare, but it does happen. But that's why you see careers of people like Cora Strangler Lewis. That's Ed Lewis, the modern version, contemporaneous to Cora, anyway. And they'd wrestle for decades because it's not as tough on your body as what people do today.
1: Right. So there you go, folks. If you ever see uh, myself... Wrestling in a catch as catch can style, just know that I either hurt very badly, and I'm trying to extend my career, or there was a body snatcher situation.
0: I'm going to go with body snatcher situation, possibly robot replacement. Going to be kind of a Stepford wrestler, uh, if you will.
1: Hey, I chained once.
0: Picks or it didn't happen. Oh shit from the Wilmington, North Carolina Morningstar, June 25th, 1920, make ways for the Lady of SWAT. And that is SWAT as in, you know, swatting somebody upside the head, not swatting by calling the cops on them and saying there's a hostage.
1: There should be a exterminator company called Uh, that.
0: There you go. Yeah. From the article, Shades of Lot's Wife and Emma Pankhurst. Emma Pankhurst was a premier British suffragette very instrumental in getting women the right to vote to England, so quite the pop culture reference of the day. Back to the article. But the women have queered the manly arts. Come now, two females to disport themselves.
1: <laughs> oh, we have a habit of doing that.
0: Come now, two females to disport themselves on the academy mat made famous by a score of huskies, such as Hanson, Kalanis, Gardner, Turner, etc., all and will disport themselves for the amusement of local fans. Step up, gents, and meet Miss Cora Livingston, 22. Well, maybe not.
1: (laughs) Oh, beautiful. All right. Yep,
0: claiming she's 22 years old. So 22, brunette, 135 pounds, champion lady wrestler of the world. Now make a bow to Miss Belle Roberts, 21, blonde, 130 pounds boss of the suffrage division of the game south of the Mason and Dixon line. The pair of lovely scrappers will waltz into each other's arms at the Academy Friday night in the second part of a twin bill that will officially clamp the lid down on wrestling in Wilmington for the present season.
1: I gotta say, outside of the articles and flyers that the Howard did, uh, that was one of my more, more favorites. Is that yeah. you know grammatically correct? There we go. Mark's favorite uh, articles, as far as turns of phrase go.
0: Yeah, I do like the they waltz into each other's arms. Yes,
1: um, and then calling the the men's matches calling them huskies. Um, I enjoyed that.
0: And and yes, I do love that they're that they're promoting her as being twenty two years old, <laughs> which means she was yes. about ten years old when she started wrestling.
1: Well, and they promote them by hair color. Which is great because how 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 else will you tell them apart?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) Oh, God.
0: From the Charlotte News, June 27th, 1920. Two women to wrestle in city. Miss Cora Livingston claims to be fair champion in the game. Cora was announced for a match at the City Auditorium the following Saturday against, you guessed it, Grace Brady. Also on the card, you guessed it, Paul Bowser. Her husband, of course, going to be on the card nine times out of ten for the rest of her career. The promoter, John Elliott, was quoted as saying, quote, Miss Livingston was ranked as a wrestler of much ability and that she was not getting by purely because of the novelty of a woman taking part in the wrestling game. So nice to say that this is not a popcorn match. This is not the time to go order a beer, visit the bathroom, smoke outside. It is not inclusive for the sake of inclusiveness. It's inclusive because she kicks ass.
1: Which is awesome because realistically ever since she kind of broke into the business, Cora has always been a draw pre, if not a hundred percent, uh, equitable every time to whatever the men's events were it, she was still a draw and she was up there
0: and honestly she was being promoted as more of an equal than women were on WWE television and at indie shows oh, in the in the like late 2000s early 2010s
1: even even now i would say outside of maybe um outside of all women's shows or several outliers that seem to really understand um who they're bringing in and uh who their their particular stars are I, you don't see that ever i mean it is so rare to see women's main events period on not only uh tv episode you know weekly tv or bi-weekly tv much less a pay-per-view which i mean these these shows you know due to the lack of large lack of other entertainment of the day um were drawing the the you know entire cities full of people
0: exactly because it was a hey you want to see an ass kicking match not halfway through the card right before intermission the ring announcer going who's ready to see a ladies match
1: you even did the inflection just right
0: yeah, they kind of wink at the crowd like, who's ready to see their little endeavors trying their best in their little outfits? Like, who's ready
1: to see some butts?
0: Yeah, who that's, wants to see some butts?
1: Like, <laughs> I expect that as part of my intro for the main event this week. I,
0: I will let Mitch know to announce you that way on Friday. Perfect. From the Wilmington, North Carolina Morning Star on June 28th, 1920, Grapplerines to meet Friday, and I could see where they're going with that, but I do not feel that grapplerines is a real word.
1: Uh, Please spell that for me. I'm generally curious. I know grappler is obviously the first word here.
0: Yep, and then I N E S, so grapplerines, which sounds like a hybrid of a grape and a tangerine, but apparently. I was going
1: to say it sounds like a food.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a, a, a fruit fusion dish, but instead it's women's wrestlers. They did their best.
1: (laughs) We always try.
0: Quote, those who love wrestling and besides those who love the ladies at peace and at war will probably turn out in large numbers to witness the wrestling bout between Cora Livingston and Belle Roberts, who will adorn the mat at the Academy of Music Friday night. The same paper the next day announced it as a twin bill, double headlining card, along with Bowser versus Fritz Hansen. Reservations had to be made at Newman's Cafe. Yes, once upon a time, people had to go places to buy tickets. It wasn't simply a matter of getting online, ordering them that way, or before that, calling a 1-800 number and they mail them to your house. Oh. Or you'd go to a record store. No, it'd be like my friend's business is where you buy the tickets. Um, yeah,
1: the, you have to go to the box office, not pay Ticketmaster fees. Is that the trade-off, Ticketmaster fees, or having to actually go somewhere?
0: I think it is. Yeah, and and there <laughs> are still shows I've seen that will be like, hey, how do you how do you buy tickets? There's no ticket link. It's like, oh, you send me a DM and I'll tell you where to meet up. Like I'm selling you Coke.
1: <laughs> That's, see, that sounds so stressful. Yeah,
0: because I don't, yeah, want, to, like, I don't no. want to talk to a person and meet somebody Make anywhere. eye contact.
1: I don't it's want like, them to I know what my person. interests
0: are. Yeah, it's like, I will let a small business go out of business because I'm going to order it on Amazon because I don't want to go talk to an employee and be asked how my day is.
1: I have a I have a very stupid threshold of I would probably spend an extra $15 to not have to interact with a, a, a real live human being.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Anyway, back to Cora Livingston.
0: <laughs> On the 30th, the morning star with, Amazons come to test skills. Tis written, the female of the species is more deadly than the male. If Kipling was in possession of all his mental faculties when he wrote those memorable lines, then Cora Livingston and Belle Roberts, female grapplers who will wrestle at the Academy Friday night, are expected to demonstrate which of the two is more deadly. Which was accompanied by a large photo of Cora. So, what a wild way to say that these women are going to be just so goddamn brutal that we're going to invoke Kipling to to sell tickets to this like it's a yeah yeah it's so weird not
1: enough not enough um classic literature quotes in wrestling promotion i just want you to keep that in mind uh everyone out there all of my you know our our wrestling promoter friends out there one book me but two think about using some more classic prose in your advertisements
0: and one thing I do love, cause I, as I said, there was a large photo of Cora. I want to point out that she is a decade into her career and they are still using her photos as like a primary draw spot.
1: Yes. So, also she looks fantastic just as an aside.
0: So she is still considered a hot draw. She is the one people are coming to see. There are also men on the card, but people are being told you need to come see her at the show. On July 1st, 1920, the Birmingham Post-Herald announced Cora versus Mae Wilson at the Lyric Theatre. And the Wilmington Star on July 3rd, 1920, Livingston announced as having beaten Bell Roberts in a one-fall match at the Academy in 17 minutes and 30 seconds, and Paul Bowser beating Fritz Hansen in a two-out-of-three-falls match. The same paper the next day claiming the show was, quote, One of the most successful in the history of the sport here. Wow. Which I see so often. It's a good way to just say, hey, dummies, you should have been there. Be there next time. But I also want to point out that they were not giving her a five-minute spot. That was a 17-minute, 30-second match. One fall. Like, that is a war. That's a lot that's more than tv yeah that's a tv main event spot so right?
1: so so i was actually going to bring up the exact same thing when you said 17 minutes i I don't know if you
0: saw my face i just
1: the fuck. which i mean guys if you don't i i'm sure anyone listening to this is a wrestling fan probably uh or you have really odd niche interests uh but you're a wrestling fan you watch wrestling regularly um you might not actually really have a grasp for how long matches are unless you're sitting there looking at your clock anytime you're watching these. Realistically, most TV matches are going to go six to eight. Uh, a pay-per-view match, even eight to 12. And then, yeah, in your mains, you'll be 15, 20, uh, anything over 20 is insane. But even even 15 plus is just, is is rather rare
0: and this is still in the day because once upon a time in the 1880s 1890s it'd be like oh the match went two hours and 15 minutes and it ended in a draw because it was illegal to do any events on a sunday and it was technically sunday morning or i've even read articles where it's like the match went two hours and 45 minutes and ended when the venue owner turned the gas off and told everyone to leave. So (laughs) there are still matches. Like in this era, you will see Ed Lewis, Joe Stetcher, men like that putting on these like 90 minute matches. There were typically two out of threes. So there was still an ebb and flow with a break in the middle. So they did know how to keep things going long. And, Keep it interesting because you're doing two out of threes with 10 minute intermissions between falls. But when you're doing a singles match, 30 minutes is often a very long time. Like you really have to do something cool to keep it going 30 minutes plus. So I feel 17 to 20, that's an amazing one fall match, even in the time before our attentions were ruined by TV and the internet.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely that requires not only the ability to have a very strong wrestling match itself, but to be able to keep the crowd engaged and to entertain and interact with the crowd for that long. That's, that's a lot.
0: Especially if I feel for a match like this, where it was two women in 1920, where you are expected to see kind of a freak show match where you'd have to lean a little bit on rough tactics, on violence, because it's a bunch of people who are not there to watch a respectful athletic contest. They're there to see something scandalous and risque. So when you're able to put on a nearly 20-minute proper wrestling match that doesn't end in a disqualification and nearly a riot, that's an accomplishment. From the Richmond Times-Dispatch, July 18th, 1920, women will wrestle next Tuesday night at Arena. Another Joe Turner versus Paul Bowser match, another Livingston versus Mae Wilson match. Quote, the bringing of the women to this city is an innovation of the wrestling game and is expected to create considerable interest in the sport, but not everyone was so enthusiastic. The Winston-Salem North Carolina Union Republican, that is a long name for a newspaper, On July 22, 1920, women wrestlers, an attraction at the auditorium, this city, July 15th, was a wrestling match between Miss Cora Livingston and Grace Brady. The daily papers say that there was a large audience who evidenced much interest and enthusiasm over the contest. We believe that in this life, women have a higher calling than to travel over the country with each other for the amusement of a morbid public. But as long,
1: (laughs) fuck. Sorry, continue. That's a lot to unpack there. We'll we'll discuss. Proceed.
0: But as long as men and women lend their presence and pay their cash for female wrestling exhibitions and picture shows and stage attractions with immoral features, just so long they will be presented. So yeah, it's I I love the women have a higher calling than doing this. And I have a feeling that higher calling involves raising children and cooking dinner and scrubbing poop stains out of underwear and being submissive. It's some very incel trad wife bullshit. And I love, I love it's not even outraged. It's just like shaking its head and condescending about it.
1: Yeah, there's a good, there's a good finger shaking, you know, go ahead and feel shame for, uh,
0: <laughs> like the guy a
1: career path,
0: the guy who wrote that 100% would take his like teenage daughters to a purity ball.
1: Yes, absolutely. Which still exist. Love that for, uh, women, you know,
0: awesome. From the Richmond Times Dispatch, December 19th, 1920, women wrestlers meet Monday night. Pair of feminine grapplers to stage bout at auditorium, Turner will encounter Bowser. And no, Paul Bowser, he's, Turner wasn't playing Super Mario Brothers.
1: (laughs) Every time you say Paul Bowser, I just want you to know that is what I visualize.
0: And rightfully so. I found this one interesting because in the article they referred to Cora Livingston as Mrs. Paul Bowser in the descriptive, which is a weird move. Uh, The card taking place at the City Auditorium featured Cora versus Mae Wilson. But yeah, the breaking of kayfabe, if you will, because they said, oh, Cora Livingston... uh, a.k.a. Mrs. Paul Bowser, or however they put it, is a weird exposing-the-business type of thing, if only just saying this is her real name or their relationship. It's just a very strange move.
1: Well, and it's it's odd, too, because if you look at modern wrestling, either on the indie circuit or um, on large-scale television products, uh, much like any other aspect of the entertainment business, relate uh, real life relationships are largely kept fairly private or quiet, which is understandable in the the days of social media um and everyone you know wanting to look into your personal life. Um, so most of the time, if there is a advertised relationship or if it's acknowledged, it is as part of a uh, a work or a publicity note or part of the show so so for that time period uh, with as much as Cora was being billed on her own it was kind of an odd odd choice to go with there
0: from the December 27th 1920 Wilmington Morning Star an advertisement for the Academy Theater Miss May Lawrence versus Miss Cora Livingston and Kid Ellis versus Paul Bowser Tickets on sale once again at Newman's Cafe. According to the Rock Hill, South Carolina Herald on December 31st, 1920, quote, unusually large crowd saw wrestling. I wonder if that means there were many people or all the people were enormous. I don't know, I don't know what's large, <laughs> the number or the actual people, who can say? Little A, little B. Cora versus Grace was a 15-minute draw with a 2 out of 3 falls rematch planned for the following Thursday. So it is good to see them getting back to the let's do a handicap match, let's go to a draw to set up rematch so people have to come by and pay twice for the same match.
1: You'll love to see it. Good old exploitation tactics.
0: On January 7th, The Herald, Miss Livingston was the winner last night. Cora won the first and the third fall. For the people who are unfamiliar or not super familiar with the two out of three falls format, you see that a lot in Lucha Libre still to this day, but it was the default way to do things. And the reason they did this, because it'd be literally three matches in a row with a 10-minute rest in between the rounds, that you had to win the two out of three almost playoff style. And the reason they would do that is so the betting odds could change fall to fall so i dominate my opponent in a 30-minute match but then as i'm walking back i look exhausted and i'm limping oh boy people are going to start betting on the other guy because he looks fresh and i look tired and then we come back in and again i'm tired and i'm limping and that guy beats me well now the odds are going in his direction people are betting heavier on him so when i come back even though i've been quote limping and looking tired and I beat him, well, guess what? All the windfall is coming my way, and you're darn right, i put a lot of money on myself.
1: But yeah, no, that's just uh, good old-fashioned storytelling and an easy story to tell, just like what you were saying.
0: Yeah, so it works both for storytelling, for narrative, for the entertainment purposes. It also allows the skewering of the betting because almost never, unless it's the yay old squash match, do you see somebody winning two straight falls. This is a trick Frank Gotch was famous for because he was very smart about how he would bet and he would do that. He would go out win the first one kind of limp back on the second one put the guy over in the second and then come back hard in the third making darn sure he put on the most dramatic comeback possible so that the betting was skewed as much as possible and that's why he was rich as fuck
1: (laughs) a fucking worker really need to start bringing back illegal sports betting and wrestling i know we were just talking about how betting and wrestling is terrible let's back that up
0: From the yorksville south carolina inquirer january 11 1921 the previous night Cora livingston beat grace brady two out of three falls with brady taking the second quote the falls were watched with keenest interest and the participants proved their will and strength many times you know what i notice when you read all these reviews you don't read how hot they were, or somebody's looking kind of like they're, you know, definitely hit the 30 wall or, you know, you, you see a lot. Look at those butts. Yeah. You see a lot more respect in the coverage. It's they're not being juxtaposed against the male wrestlers. They're not being compared to like, well, yeah, there's a women's match, but it's no Joe Stetcher versus Ed Lewis. It's being judged on its own merit as being quite good.
1: And, and I mean, even if you look at the, the photography, what little there is from that time, um, you know, not, not that beauty standards don't change throughout the years, but like not all these women were perfect tens by any means, you know, I'm not saying they were rough to look at, but they weren't, uh, supermodels of the day whereas now i mean it feels like for anyone to say oh that women's match was a banger and they'll say that women's match it's not that match is if they find one or both of the women in the match attractive
0: and if they don't boy will they be fearless in their commentary on the topic oh boy I loved this. An ad from the Washington, D.C. Evening Star on January 12, 1921. It was an ad for the Folly Theater. Cora Livingston, champion lady wrestler, versus the girl in the mask the following night. Also, Paul Bowser versus Mike Nestor. The Washington Times on January 13th speculated on the match how Livingston, quote, will take on a local opponent known as the girl in the mask disguised so as to shield her identity. This should no doubt prove to be a novel feature.
1: So question on this. Um girl in mask, mask gimmick, lucha, right? Had lucha really carried through uh to America at that time, or was it still more of a just, oh, we're gonna put someone in a mask, so it's a mystery.
0: Masked wrestling is not a lucha original concept. Masked wrestlers wow. were known in France and Russia and Germany, going back to the mid 1800s, because it was a great way for young wrestlers to get in reps without exposing their identity, or a way so for... kind
1: of similar on a um, but on a obviously a much more uh, severe note similar to like how New Japan or like the young lions all wear black trunks
0: pretty much. It's very much your creative player days where you would have masked wrestlers because it would be one of a couple of things. One would be, this is how you get young wrestlers reps without killing them flat with 40 straight losses in their young career back in the quote shooter days. It's also a great way for wrestlers to get refreshes, or paid gigs where you could be a a draw a solid wrestler well-known but guess what you know what you're burned out in that territory you know you're on the carnival circuit in poland and people don't really know you there and you're just picking up some extra cash without people going oh my goodness the french champion is over here losing well you put on a mask so there is so much documentation of the masked wrestler being primarily a French standard of the carnival business because it also makes them like more mysterious and dangerous. It's the man in the iron mask, but in wrestling. So it really is a European import, and it was the same concept for when wrestlers starting going to Mexico because Lucha Libre was actually more of an offshoot of Greco-Roman wrestling, from when the French army occupied Mexico, introduced Greco-Roman wrestling into the Mexican carnival culture, and then the Mexican wrestlers started making it more theatrical. They started really attaching to Greek mythology for some reason. So you had a lot of Greek mythology-themed circus wrestlers in Mexico, and the ley line draws from that back to Europe. And then the European wrestlers, when they started coming over, they would do the mask gimmick so that there wouldn't be reports in the late 1800s of the French champion, the Polish champion, whatever, losing matches in Mexico. Hence, they'd start wearing masks. And that's how that took root as a mainstay in Mexican Lucha Libre.
1: See, y'all, we're learning all kinds of stuff today. I'm learning shit. You're learning shit. It's not just Cora. It's a little bit of everything. Also, that's wild. I had no idea. He just blew wants- my mind.
0: And if anybody wants to learn more, scroll down on the archives of this very podcast, Birth of Lucha Libre, Part 1 and 2. You'll hear that in intense detail about the invasion of Mexico, the Mexican Empire, a Habsburg emperor being executed by the uprising and how wrestling plays into all of that. As always pro wrestling history is just world history made weird.
1: That's right. Everyone. Even I, an esteemed host have uh, a backlog to get through on our own podcast.
0: The Altoona Tribune on January 24th, 1921 Lady champ to meet Grace Smith. Paul Bowser, middleweight king, also coming. I wonder if Grace Smith was Grace Brady. Who knows? Paul Bowser was taking on Jack Pappas. And the event was promoted by Mort Henderson. That's right. The original masked marvel transitioned from wrestler to promoter. Mort Henderson, he was the Mass marvel in the 1915 international tournament in New York revitalized his career he became a traveling star as the masked marvel and he was able to launch into a regional promoter with a significant amount of success and if you're looking back speaking of masked people wondering hey how did the girl in the mask do no goddamn idea couldn't find any results
1: so a question on that note with the uh last bit was Uh, The crossover between wrestling and promoting as far as wrestlers being promoters or parlaying their wrestling career into a promoting career, was that fairly relevant at the time? Or or relevant? um, uh, Rampant, widespread, common? Not
0: really. Um, You didn't see it too much. Just because back in these days, being a wrestler was a full-time job. It was something where trying to wrestle and promote was a very difficult proposition because this is a pre-territory day. Like the idea of what we think of as a territory was really born in this era because it used to be you have a wrestler and you have his manager and he is setting up the matches all over the place, much like a touring musician, comedian act would be today. It wasn't until around this era that you would find the promoters who were more or less regional, if not national, and this is when you would start seeing more wrestler promoters. You would see people like Paul Bowser, who was the middleweight champion, but also a regional promoter. You would have Billy Sandow, and you would have Toots Mont, who was a competitive wrestler, and also a booker. So you would have that overlapping more and more and more starting in the mid-19-teens and moving forward. It was a very common thing, but just this is kind of the era where that was coming to fruition. Noted. But with Mort Henderson's promotion, the Altoona Tribune on February 1st, 1921 reviewed the show, Cora beat Grace Smith with a body scissor in 19 minutes, 10 seconds. Bowser dropped out due to an injury and was replaced by Tom Gallagher. I found this interesting. They are openly advertised as husband and wife now and claimed that, quote, Miss Livingston does private work in many Cincinnati homes where she teaches physical culture as well as wrestling. So looks like Cora was more or less becoming a personal trainer another good side hustle for many people in the pro wrestling business
1: so at that point were they trying to add a more uh, familiar or personal touch to Cora as a name as a I, wrestler
0: yeah i feel that was probably the case it kind of gave them a quasi celebrity like say what they do at home wrestlers are regular people just like you <laughs> and i
1: Right, exactly. That's what it's starting to seem like because this was never uh, a conversation piece previously.
0: The Brooklyn Standard Union on February eighth, nineteen twenty one, had a fun article: wrestling should be less brutal. It was an opinion piece about how the legislature should step in to ban such dangerous moves as the headlock, the toe hold, and the leg scissors. Our you blo- know that headlock. Well, and that's why, because at the time, Ed Lewis was using the headlock as a damn near attempted murder kind of move, which led to several near riots. It'd be something where he would clamp that on, and the guy would sell it like his head's about to detach, rendering them unconscious, and then sometimes Ed would still be cranking the hold while the referee's trying to pull him off. And there were several cases where the police would be holding back the crowd trying to attack Ed Lewis for possibly killing their favorite local wrestler right in front of them. So it was getting a lot of bad press for the wrestling business because Ed Lewis's new move, his scarf hold headlock, was so brutal that somebody is going to die eventually. Imagine that reaction now to a headlock in pro wrestling.
1: Probably wouldn't happen. I mean, that's, (laughs) I've been in some stiff headlocks, but nothing that's made me want to tap out. Just bitch
0: a lot. From the March 8th, 1921 Boston Post, an advertisement for Cora returning to the Howard Theater the following week, our favorite venue. But in the meantime, you can enjoy Harry Lang and his famous lid lifter burlesque
1: lifting lids eh?
0: that's gonna blow your top on the 13th the post had a quarter page ad for the howard cora along with the puss puss burlesque ray reed ben small and kitten chorus babble whitman and her dancing boys and other acts about cora they claimed <laughs> babble whitman and her dancing boys the mental image in my brain is probably just as weird as the one in yours
1: I like to think it was the uh, progenitor to Dalton Castle and the boys.
0: Ooh, that's what I could hope.
1: Yes, inspiration.
0: About Cora, they claimed, her speciality is making near champions bite the dust. On March 15th, the Boston Globe had an ad for Cora Livingston versus Mabel Starkey of the South End at the Howard. Quote, Cora Livingston says all of the Boston girl wrestlers are roughnecks and no good, and that she can pin them to that mat in a jiffy. That is in dispute, however, and Cora will have to go some if she accepts all challenges. If you're a live wire wrestling fan, the Howard will show you the goods all week. Always something doing one to eleven at the Howard.
1: Always do- something doing the Howard always had the best the best ads.
0: Again, whoever was writing ads for the Howard, that person deserved a year-end bonus of about twenty-five percent of the profits. Fucking yeah. phenomenal.
1: The Howard writer is the equivalent of the uh, Wendy's Twitter account, really.
0: <laughs> the March fifteenth, nineteen twenty-one, Boston Post quote: "Women chap at old Howard, Cora Livingston, wrestler, receives an ovation." Not sure if he was standing or not. It's vague.
1: <laughs> but they clapped.
0: Claiming she will meet all comers and makes short work of her opponents. The Boston Globe on March 16th, 1921, with an ad for Cora versus Girl in the Mask, to a finish at the Howard. According to the Boston Post on the 17th, Cora Livingston finds her match, reporting that Cora lost to the Girl in a Mask. Quote, Korra was defeated, much to her surprise, but to the delight of the audience. So we're having Korra, you know, again, these are those every night of the week challenge matches, twice on the weekends with matinees. So you did have to keep these lively. You did have to have it be time limit challenge matches or handicap matches, because this wasn't like a big title match where the girl in the mask defeated Korra, one, two, three, crowd goes wild. These are ones where it's like, hey, it's a 15 minute time limit and you get money if you win, if you just don't lose in that time. Or it's something where it's a non-title match to set up a title match. If you come back on Friday for two out of threes to a finish. So it's a gimmick match with a gimmick wrestler in a mask with a gimmick finish to set up a rematch.
1: And you know what? You like to send the fans home, ha- home, Fans home. what are words, guys? The fans home happy. <laughs> there we have it. Uh, you know, you like to send the fans home, home happy. That's still difficult to say. Uh, so what better way to do it than letting a girl in mask, big baby face, baby mask face, go over, right? Then next day, cool, the champ gets to retain.
0: And it, once again, it was a great way to retain sales, have people come back on Friday because once again, this is no longer betting culture wrestling, it's entertainment culture wrestling. And that's how you set things up so people come back and give you another 50 cents two nights later. Hell yeah. Friday, March 18th, 1921, Newark leader, quote, in the largest house of the season, Cora Livingston and Grace Brady wrestled to a draw in one fall, 10-minute match. Paul Bowser wrestled Charlie Ross in the main event. The title of article, Bowser Wins Again. We're seeing Bowser starting to claim the headlines more and more, as opposed to the novelty of his wife's matches. Bowser, again, he had started becoming a bigger star after winning the middleweight title. They were starting to spend more and more time in the Boston area, where he became a hot draw. People really started liking him. So in that region, Bowser was starting to get the headlines more of more than Cora at this time. From the Newark, Ohio leader on May twentieth, nineteen twenty one, ad for final wrestling match of the season, World Championship stuff. That's the actual title. That's not me just being <laughs> condescending.
1: Hell yeah. World Championship stuff.
0: Main event was Marin Plastina versus John Evko, the Danish Tiger. Cora Livingston versus Grace Brady was fourth down the bill. Also featured is the motion picture, The Restless Sex. One admission included the picture and wrestling. Picture starts promptly at 7.30. Admission, 75 cents, one dollar and two dollars. So we're starting to see a very novel and interesting way to sell tickets, which is showing a movie before the vaudeville and the wrestling and everything else. If anything, I'm sure it was a lot cheaper to produce to just pop up the projector and show a boxing match, or a short comedy, or a short romance, or the restless sex, which also could involve, well, you know what, I'll just leave that up to your imaginations. You know what I'm thinking, I know what you're thinking, and shame on you.
1: Hey, you hit him with the old double feature.
0: And I'm starting to see a lot more ads for movies, as well as the burlesque and vaudeville acts at this time, and something that kind of popped me, which is, many advertisements for max senate presents and if you don't know the name max senate founded keystone studios in edendale california in 1912 you probably have heard the name keystone cops which was a series of slapstick silent comedies senate produced about a group of incompetent policemen He helped launch the film careers of Harold Lloyd, Gloria Swanson, Fatty Arbuckle, W.C. Fields, Bing Crosby, Charlie Chaplin, and many others. So that does kind of create context for where these matches were happening in the broader spectrum of entertainment. From the Buffalo Republican, September 8th, 1921 plugging the appearance of wrestler Billy Grant, claiming she wrestled Cora to a two-hour, eight-minute draw. Which is insane for a few reasons. Reason number one, that is a long fucking match for this era. And two, why would the draw point be two hours and eight minutes?
1: Okay, and not only is that a long fucking match for that era, that is a long fucking match, period. Guys, an Iron Man match is 60 minutes. Great. Cool. That is already a fucking long time. On top of that, like imagine walking at a sedate pace on a treadmill for two hours and eight minutes. Like the the eight minutes wouldn't be the straw. I, I'm pretty sure it would be, you know, over an hour. Uh so so just imagine that. So having to wrestle for that long is absolutely insane.
0: From December 15th, 1921, Lewington, Maine, Sun Journal. Cora Livingston to wrestle in Lewiston. Shocking. Promoter Gus Legender was bringing Cora back for a return engagement. You might remember Gus Legender from a few episodes ago where he was the referee in the match that he promoted and even took a few bumps to make Cora look good. Quote, he is trying to secure Mademoiselle Fifi, the French-Canadian female champ, to battle to the death with Cora Livingston. Mademoiselle Fifi has likewise wrestled in Lewiston and made a favorable impression. The card will also feature boxing and two other wrestling matches. Quote, Gus has booked Cora for bouts at Augusta, Biddeford, Waterford, Sanford, besides Lewiston, and still has two- All the ferns. Holy crap. Like, let's just, first of all, battle to the death. That is some That's hyperbolic shit.
1: That is that is a lot. I mean, this bitch just uh, wrestled for two hours and eight minutes. What does uh, battling to the death entail? Of
0: literally, probably that. I mean, there's not a lot of wiggle room if you're being literally battled to the death. Right. And I do appreciate on the business side about how Gus is bringing her to Maine and he's like listing all these towns he's gonna hit and he still has two open dates. It makes me think of how international bookings work where say somebody's coming from Japan and the primary promoter doing that is filling up the dates and trying to get them spots and travel-wise, probably going from Boston to maine it was probably just as many logistics as going from tokyo to los angeles today
1: yes absolutely completely different travel culture and travel technology
0: travelology
1: that's the one right up there with
0: grappleens Gra- Glap 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 orleans
1: glapolines, Gl- glapolines.
0: The Biddeford Sacco Journal on December 24th, 1921 advertisement. Now, folks, all up on Monday night, Old Nickel Theater, December 26th, announcing Cora versus Miss McSweeney in a finish match, Paul Bowser versus the Albanian wrestler Charlie Metro. Also featuring the two Dion brothers, the smallest boxers in the world. Bouts to start at 8 o'clock, P. Hamill, timekeeper, 85 cents. War tax included, $1.10. Reserve seats on sale Friday at Ledoux's shoe store. So we have quite the novelty freak show night with women's wrestling, men's wrestling, the world's smallest boxers, and for some reason we're naming the timekeeper. I assume he was a local celebrity of some kind. Who knows what he did? Maybe in 1921 he was famous for stopping the horse rampage through the general store, I don't know what people were doing in those days.
1: I mean, that's really a cause for celebrity.
0: December 27th, 1921, The Sun Journal. Miss Livingston was frail when young. So we have another retcon of her origin story, where she was, quote, a girl of frail constitution and very delicate health. After graduating with honors from the Public School of Oakfield, New York, her native town, she found it necessary to consult a physician She was 16 years old then, and as she weighed only 89 pounds, she was advised to take up some course of strenuous exercise with wrestling preferred. So
1: wasn't she like beating the shit out of other girls in a convent or something?
0: Yeah, the origin story has changed many times, but you know what? It was a lot easier to do a gimmick switch back in these days because who was hanging on to newspaper clippings from 10 states over from a decade in the past? So yeah, she went from orphan who was beating asses in the convent to a circus runaway who was strenuously athletic even in her teens, playing a bunch of different sports, to now she was like a frail thing, not even a hundred pounds who learned to bulk up and get healthy through the power of wrestling.
1: (laughs) It does a lot of good.
0: December 27th, 1921, Waterford, Maine, Morning Sentinel. Cora Livingston to wrestle here, announcing Cora versus Bernadette Moreau of Boston, champion female wrestler of New England, not a real title, but why not? And Paul Bowser vs. Charles Metro, also on the card. From the Sun Journal on December 29th, 1921. Famous wrestler talks to the journal. Cora Livingston says wrestling is the greatest aid to health in the world. It is not unwomanly. <laughs> and she believes all of her sex should try it. So, she's
1: really on uh, really riding this platform.
0: So she's really hitting her infomercial era on trying to sell wrestling as a product. She is now the person and she she did this in the past, this isn't new, where she's trying to promote women should try wrestling for health, for confidence. However you want to put it, it is physical culture for women. So yes, she is now plugging wrestling as a lifestyle as as well as her livelihood.
1: Well, and this is actually not a bad way to take it, again, not it it, it helps generate new interest, potentially appeal to another market. Great. Um, but it really kind of helps um, create a diversion from the moral outrage. Uh, you know, for the the threat to the domestic um well-kept woman in jesus you
0: know because you do have to keep in mind this is women's suffrage time this is one of the first big waves of the 20th century of empowering women in society it's the power to vote it is the power to impact policy in government the prohibition movement for all of its failings was a feminist movement to stop men from spending all their money on booze and coming home and beating the shit out of them because women at the time, this is how most laws were. If a woman was working, her husband got the paycheck. So any chance for an empowerment movement in the feminist culture of the time was very important. And the concept of becoming strong of becoming powerful of, you know, it's, it's like taking Brazilian jiu jitsu or boxing classes today. It's how you learn to feel confident and powerful, especially in a legal culture where you are barely getting your toes in the water as far as empowerment and self-determination is concerned.
1: Right. Like, I mean, you mentioned before, this is the time um right at this time really uh when women were just at that point getting equality to have the right to vote uh you know very much secondhand citizens at this time uh second tier citizens what have you uh and and i think of of all people Cora was actually a great champion for that um not not as just a champion wrestler but uh Uh, a champion for, you know, women's rights and uh, women kind of creating their own place in society and being able to stand as equals to men, not only with, as we've seen from the billing, but uh, just how she carries herself in general.
0: From the Sun Journal on December 30th, 1921, Miss Livingston unable to meet great unknown, which sounds like a weird term for a near-death experience, probably not what they meant. It looks like the show went absolutely to shit. Cora hurt her shoulder and couldn't compete. He also had to move the show from Lewiston City Hall to Jacques Cartier Hall. He couldn't get the City Hall unless he paid the full rental up front in cash. Judging from how wrestling promoters can be, maybe that wasn't such a bad move on the city's part. But Gus had been running wrestling shows for 15 years and was shocked that they'd ask for the $50 up front for the hall plus $15 for three policemen up front. The show drew 125 people and started late at 9 p.m. The children's boxing was apparently exciting. The unknown woman wrestler wrestled another equally unknown woman wrestler. Follow that Try and paul bowser and peter goulet was a fine main event with bowser winning in 26 minutes with a double wrist lock slash body scissor so yes what a bad time for an established wrestling promoter where he goes to the venue they're like hey man you need to give us the money up front he hasn't gotten the box office yet or whatever reason it seems like a weird move but It is easy to joke about what a carny business wrestling is and always has been and how often when it comes time to pay the bills based off off of the draw, money isn't really there. A lot of apologies, a lot of catch you next time, brother. The house was light, brother, 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 brother.
1: Uh, Yes, all of these things are items that have absolutely not changed in the last century. Uh, if you were if you were wondering if you were curious, um, really, even to you know the the majors to an extent, it's, um, it's, it's definitely interesting. We'll put it that way.
0: and I do commiserate. I do sympathize for the card subject to change moment when his big draw, whom he's been advertising for a long time, drops off at the last minute, so he didn't have Korra as he's been plugging, as he's been promoting, as he's been selling tickets upon. But what happens a lot of times these days is guess whose flight didn't take off? Guess whose flight got canceled? Guess who cannot appear because their flight got delayed because a wing fell off of the plane? I have had situations like it was last, was it last November? Or it was some, oh no, it was the anniversary show last year where neither Edith Surreal nor Effie were able to make it because they were on the same flight. The flight got canceled, nothing doing. Sorry, everybody. Sometimes you'll have flights get canceled, or if you work with TV level guys, sometimes the TV company will say, oh, I've decided we need your skills, your star power on television this Saturday night. Oh, the smaller show has been advertising you for six months. Well, too fucking bad. That's how the cookie crumbles. So, yes, Card Subject to Change has been a much uh, maligned, much upsetting part of show business since day one. From the Daily Kennebec Journal... From Maine, I am sure I'm mispronouncing that word, from December 31st, 1921. Women wrestlers delight Matt fans at Brunswick Hall. Quote, two good wrestling matches at the town hall this evening were enjoyed by 150 people. The preliminary was between Cora Livingston of Newark, Ohio, and Mary Stearns of Lowell, Massachusetts. Miss Livingston won the match with two falls out of three. She got the first fall in eight minutes with an arm lock. Miss Steams got the second fall in three minutes with a head scissors. Miss Livingston got the deciding fall in four minutes with a full Nelson. It was the first time women wrestlers have appeared in the town hall for many years. Something I do want to touch upon for catch-as-catch-can rules. You a lot of times hear about these submission holds, about the chokes, about the neck cranks, about the toe holds, about the arm bars, the double wrist lock. These were not. MMA style matches. These were not jujitsu style matches. Yes, you could get somebody to submit to give up to hold up a finger Which was that was the Yale tapping out signal in order to avoid broken bones dislocated that Unconsciousness, but primarily those holds were done to force somebody to turn over and put their shoulders down for the pin It was not a submission unto itself. It was a submission End route to a pinfall frank gotch was famous for his toehold well guess what he wasn't cranking it necessarily trying to get a submission he was cranking it so you would have to follow the momentum of it and turn over on your back because sure, if you fought, honestly it...
1: sorry but honestly that's um something you don't see a lot of submission finishes even in wrestling today um uh, they're pretty pretty rare and you don't really see many roll-up style fancy pen attempts as finishes either
0: it does come back into vogue every now and then if you notice that after the ufc took off you started seeing more submissions in professional wrestling because hey you know what the ufc was taking off it was becoming a sensational sport though not quite a mainstream sport you would have the guys who realized they could make more money in pro wrestling than in early MMA, so you'd have Ken Shamrock coming over and bringing a catch-as-catch-can, shoot-style toehold as his finisher, so you would start seeing more tap-outs in the mid-90s than you probably saw in the last 20 years of televised wrestling. Again, it was never about cranking the hold to the point of injury, that's why when Evan Lewis, the original Strangler, was hurting people with his toehold, it became a social outrage. When Ed the Strangler Lewis was, quote, nearly killing people with his headlock as a submission, it was causing outrage. Because a submission was a means to an end to pin somebody lest you be hurt, and that was seen as sportsmanlike. Cranking a hold in order to harm a person was seeming as a dick move and something you don't do unless you're a huge piece of shit. So yes, you'll see all these submission hold sounding moves, but really what it was is using that as a pinning technique as opposed to a submission technique. And with that lesson on catch-as-catch-can wrestling, we're going to have to put a pin in this. We're definitely winding down the story of Cora Livingston, but we are not there yet. And one thing I do want to point out, because sometimes you might think Nick, why are you just reading these little, almost non sequiturs about matches that were announced, but you don't really hear anything about the match or you don't hear the finish? It's because I wanted to be as definitive as possible. I wanted to create the most complete story of Chorus career that I could possibly compile and sometimes that is loose threads and dead ends but I wanted it there to show context, show the breadth of what her busy schedule looked like. So even if you don't have the full story of a match, you at least kind of get a timestamp for a match existing so you could see especially in this era of World War 1, the Great War as they called it in those days, that she was resurging as a star. She was once again becoming a top star and a top draw because so many of the men were tied up in military service. So it opened the door for her to really come back and be a hot draw and much busier than she had been in the previous years. What are you thinking about this story so far with part nine in the books?
1: Oh, part nine has been great. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Cora, but I did enjoy our slight departure into the history of mask wrestling.
0: Yep, that is an interesting topic. Not a lot of people really understand or know it because, once again, separating wrestling mythology and wrestling history sometimes takes a bit of work. But you know what? That's wrestling. You you take a concept, you make it your own, you apply your own mythology to it, and you present it to the world. Wrestling, everybody. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks with Korra Part 10. I can't even promise that's going to be the end because, you know, she just kept on ticking with her career, kept making headlines, kept making history. But we'll see where this goes. And hopefully you are enjoying it enough that you're still following us along on this tale. Judging from download numbers, you are enjoying it as much as we are. So please follow us on all the social medias so you can see whatever it is I post when I find it. Follow us individually on social media. I promise you it's occasionally entertaining. But until then, for now, I'm Nick Gossert for Heidi Howitzer. We'll talk to you next time. Take care, everybody.